Andy was just talking a little bit. You want to, um, I, I don't know if you can physically sit for a little while, but. Um, you mean like can you reduce the energy to yeah, sit? Or? That, that's oh, you need me to sit while he's talking? No, stand. I'm thrilled to sit. No, stand up. Okay. All right, so do you, you were going to talk a little bit about something that was like relative to um, you know, the decision here in, in Yieldex. I was. <laughs> do you remember the call we had? You don't yes, have well, to. Just, just prompt me. Prompt you? Yeah. The, the like go long or sell. Right. So it's, it's being, being a founder or being an entrepreneur is an intensely personal decision. Yeah. And so one of the things you, and so yet you're also balancing lots of different interests. You're balancing the interest of your investors, you're balancing the interest of your partners, you're balancing the interest of your board of directors and your employees, but ultimately at its heart, at its, heart it's an intensely personal decision. And with one of those decisions, the person, only the person can make it. And so you may make the right one or the wrong one, but it's intensely personal at its core. And it's really hard for someone on the outside who may be an investor like us to say, come on man, go for it. Because we have diversified portfolios of investments and businesses. And in fact, if you think about the concept of a diversified portfolio, I say this to founders all the time. The success of your individual business or company doesn't really affect me. What affects me is the, is the diversification of 24 companies that I invest in over a four-year period out of one fund. That's all you have. But I'm constructing a diversified portfolio that I know 60 to 70% are probably not going to return the money and 20 to 30% will return my capital and one or two will deliver those outside returns. So in that, in that balance that's not equal, how can you say to someone, you should go for it? So would you back Doug again if you had been an investor and you had taken the turn deal? Well, so here, well, yes, because potentially, because that's a great set of experiences. Most first-time entrepreneurs don't have an experience of having to build a company, having to raise outside capital, having to sell it, having to balance it. So that could be a good set of good set of experiences. So we're we're talking about um, a company that got a very very early offer as we discussed. Um, but maybe you can. So Andy gave a little bit of his background and his career trajectory that led him to a fund that wouldn't invest in his company, and um, you have a really interesting career trajectory, which uh, maybe you can start. I think I shouldn't get Gary to invest in my company either. Did you try? Of course I tried. Why'd you try? Let me ask you a quick, I don't recall, but let me ask you a quick question. (laughs) You don't recall because like it didn't even register. No, I want to get back to that in a minute, but there was something interesting that just happened. Did you ask him, would he invest in the person who, if he took the term deal, which was the early deal, right? Yeah. Well, the the, the the interesting part there that was interesting is he wouldn't have not known the other outcome. Like right. if they took that first deal, you just wouldn't know. Right. So I think I think that that's something that I'm always fascinated by, which is people are so crippled by decisions. There's just no way to know what would have happened, you know, at the time when you're making a decision. A lot. So much of this is Monday morning quarterbacking. Kind of fascinating. So anyway, um, Let, let's move over into the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've known this man since I was 14, 15 years old, because my family had a liquor store in Springfield, New Jersey that I started working at when I was 14 that I later turned into something called Wine Library and launched one of the first three or four e-commerce wine businesses in America called winelibrary.com back in 1996. And uh, your professor here was a hardcore wine nerd 
that knew way too much about not wine for such a young dude and I was a child but like that was my whole life and what I cared about and I, I built my dad's business from a three to a 65 million dollar business um, with no capital infusion in 96, 98 to 2003. Wait, you didn't make a modest 14 million dollar loan? No, no modest 14 million dollar <laughs> loan. Uh, he, uh, but, he, but he came to America, I was born in Belarus with no language and a hundred bucks and lived in a studio apartment in Queens with eight family members so he's very much my hero to build it up to a three million dollar level. But I did it on, on uh, digital marketing innovation of the time. In 1997 I had an email newsletter that had 91% open rates because nobody was email marketing and instead of sending catalogs from Sherry Lehman's or Zaki's, I was getting to customers first with the hottest wines on this thing, email, and I was trying to send as many emails as possible in 97, because I thought people would eventually charge for it. Like it was just like, it seemed such a great deal. Launching a website, email, <laughs> really. I mean, you know, it's funny, it's like, if, but, but very honestly, you know, if we start talking about VR, we're gonna make a lot of assumptions right now that are either gonna play out or not play out in a 20, 30 year window. 1996 internet was a whole different fucking world. And so I kept innovating, bought the word wine on, you know, the day Google AdWords came out for five cents a click, that was a good bet. Uh, and owned it for a long time and just did a lot of smart digital marketing things and then I did a show on YouTube a couple months after YouTube came out called Wine Library TV where I sat in front of a camera and drank four bottles of wine for 20 minutes. <laughs> and a lot of people watched that and that's how I kind of hit the scene in the tech world. And then what happened was YouTube sold for $1.7 billion and I was like, fuck, I was right about e-com, I was right about Google AdWords, I was right about you know, uh, cookie retargeting banner ads, I was right about YouTube. Maybe this skill I have for selling more you know, Burgundy and, and Priorat can be deployed against something more financially interesting. So when I read the article about YouTube's sale, there was one article that featured Ron Conway's angel investor investment and I said, what the fuck's an angel investor? I Googled it and you know, within 20 minutes decided I would be an angel investor and uh, went to South by Southwest three months later, became friends with Ev Williams and Blaine Cook, the original CTO and I think your firm at the time, me and Kevin Rose, bought up Blaine's original stock at Twitter. So I bought a ton of Twitter, real cheap. I didn't think of myself as an angel investor, I just thought that was a smart decision because I thought Twitter would be big. Then I went home from South by, made a... Well, it did for me because I sold my shares, so I did good. But uh, <laughs> um, came home, made a video. I was making wine videos. Came home, made a video that said Facebook should be worried about Twitter. There was a guy of head of platform at the time at Facebook that I didn't know by the name of Dave Morin. He sent me an email. He's like, "Hey, this video has gone really viral inside of Facebook. Would you come out to Palo Alto and give a talk?" So I came to a room like this when in front of the whole company. There was only 400 employees, um, and talked about consumer behavior and why I thought the world was changing. That caught Mark's attention. We went out to dinner that night and a week later I bought a lot of stock from his parents. And then somehow I got David Karp to reopen the B round of Tumblr. At a, by the way, stick with me here, the B round at a $14 million valuation and I made an investment into Tumblr. So the first three things I invested in were Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, yeah, I mean it was, it was when I was smart. I was making bets on things that I thought would be successful. I didn't think of myself as an investor. I got progressively stupider after that. Um, but why do, think, why do you think that was? Because I started trying to be an investor. I literally went from being, 
I'm a businessman, these are good businesses, this is good, the market changed. I mean, this is Tumblr B-Round 2008, B-Round 14 million, now every fake bullshit entrepreneur running around this campus wants seven million, four million for their bullshit idea that they have no prayer on because entrepreneurship is popular and instead of going to Bain and McKinsey, they think they can start a fucking app that people are gonna use. Clapping, are you clapping because he just described you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, they're, they're always clapping and laughing when I speak because it's the truth, we all know it. This is the greatest era of fake entrepreneurship ever which makes it challenging for anybody here that wants to go into venture investing. I barely created one investment for myself last year because I'm so scared of the early stage ecosystem because the supply and demand curve of actual entrepreneurs that can see these things through versus everybody who fancies themselves in that has broke. And so I'm just desperately, I'm, so I don't understand macro global economics well enough to understand who and why this is being held up for so long but I'm just desperately waiting for this whole fucking thing to crash. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing to me is that at a certain point you, you just decided you were gonna be an angel investor. You didn't know what it was, right? So you that's just right. kinda like, you just decided that's what you were gonna be. I thought there was a moment in time where the internet that I grew up and built my dad's liquor store was starting to hit true scale and consumer behavior was about to change for real. And so things like Birchbox and Uber and other things I did well with, they were all still back in 2007 to 2010, 11 time frame um, where valuations were a little, not more fair, but I would tell you that we were all, I was very early stage, we were still dealing with $4 million idea stage. The difference is the entrepreneurs that were building those companies in 2007, 8, 9, 10, they couldn't breathe doing anything else. There was no also, they didn't, they didn't think they were gonna get rich doing it. Some of them, I think some, especially the early part. My South by 2007 experience was wild. I went there, I said something about business and everybody looked at me like I was the worst piece of shit they'd ever seen. This, this Web 2.0 movement, the, the at, growing from the ashes of the first web bubble, these were people that wanted to change the world for real. I just wanted to sell more Peter Michael Le Pavot. That's for you. That was for you. Um, so, so yeah, that's true. But they were also true entrepreneurs. Every day I meet, every month I meet with 15 people that 10 years ago were gonna be consultants and bankers that now think the Uber of dry cleaning is their way out. So how do you, but how do you evaluate that? How do you evaluate that person now compared to some, what you called were the true believers? So it really is interesting. I've, I've really gravitated later and later stage because I realized my marketing talent and what I was good at over the last decade is actually far better used for things that have a little maturity to them where I can use my arbitrage of marketing capabilities. So I've become less interested in the very early stage because the only thing I now value, if I'm going to make an angel investment, pure idea phase, I need to know that that person's, um, my 100% evaluation now is on the person could care less about the idea and I need to know if they sold blow pops in junior high. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, when, you say, when you say blow pops, it doesn't matter if they sold blow pops as long as they started some business. Zuck sold, like, like he like put music on CDs and sold them in class. Like, I, that salesmanship DNA, that grit, that I can't breathe without selling thing is very needed because the other problem we have in the ecosystem and we deal with this is we also have a crazy reaction to failure. 
I've been at too many dinners where the dinner is, I went out of business and everybody sits around the table in a circle jerk of, oh, it's great that you learned. (laughs) And your view is it sucks that you learned? My view is like, fuck, I don't want to lose my money. And like, I definitely don't want to buy you dinner and make you feel good that you suck. But, but right, I mean, we have, a, we have an unbelievably awesome culture that has a unique twist to it. Like, I don't know. Like, it feels very weird that I've worked very hard my whole fucking life, wrote a $250,000 check, the person was skiing, skiing, four months before his company went out of business, and then I'm supposed to go to a dinner and celebrate the learnings he had in three years? That's broken. That's the softness of our current culture. I genuinely believe that. And, and do, you, do you think that's your view Sure. I think it's a hell of a lot easier to feel the way I feel that because I walked to Kmart when I was seven and split toilet paper with my mom versus going to, you know, fucking Horace Mann in Columbia. Yes. And but Zuck didn't grow up. Oh, by the way, I'm talking about me personally. I don't think my path is the only path. I think there's killers that went to Horace Mann in Columbia. But if you're asking me the question, yes, I think that my reaction to that. I mean the slang term for real executors, here's what I know, the balance of this ecosystem, I don't know what the class wants to do, whether build their companies or go and invest, as it currently sits right now, it's never been tougher at the earliest stage because you have just so many pretenders and the truth is it's hard. It's hard to like figure that out. I can ask you about you know, putting you know music on CDs, but like that's only one little tiny data point. You're yeah, really but the, num- but the number of pretenders you have is correlated with the rise in the dollars available to those pretenders and the romance right. and branding of being an entrepreneur. The brand equity around being an entrepreneur today is stunning. It is stunning for me to, to in the world. Like I can't believe how cool it is in real life to be an entrepreneur and that makes a lot of young individuals gravitate towards that. Is that, but, you, but you're suggesting overall that's worse than if those young individuals went to work for Goldman Sachs or McKinsey. I am, because I'll tell you what we are not. the world is a better place even with the bad ideas. No, I do not and let me explain down. why. Okay. The biggest conversation that I'm fascinated by is the suicide rate at Wharton last year. So we have, in parallel, a narrative that anybody can do it and everybody's entitled to win in entrepreneurship and there's an underbelly in our world that I'm concerned about and you know we've talked about this in a different panel. This is a big thing. I mean like when you are, there are certain individuals who've been winning in the first 20 years of their life in a game that was fixed before they played it and then they go into the market and the market punches them in the mouth and they don't know how to react and so yes I do think for the cliche picture that I'm painting right now, there are certain individuals that I just genuinely believe would have had a better life being the number seven at Facebook instead of the number one of shit book. Um, Or or, or making 230,000 a year on Wall Street or consulting land at 29 years old. Yes, I think there's a lot of people that will be better. Like I love entrepreneurship the most, but nothing works when it's forced or off balance, nothing. And Andy, your point is just like, do anything other than 
Unless you're built for Goldman. Yeah, but, but what does that mean, right? Well, I know one thing. Some people, not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. No, that's right. But that's insane. A, right, but it, but it works the same way too, right? The other, in other words, you, it used to be, right, you graduate school and, and then you'd go work for a bank or a law firm or you'd go into medicine. Those were a bunch of different right. paths, Which right? all suck if, right. for me. But, but, and they may, but people, some people still do that, right? Yes. The, what, entrepreneurship is about being empowered to take control of your professional life. Okay. Right, at some level. Do you know how many people are not capable of that? That's, but, do you, do you know, that's, but that's do you know how hard market, entrepreneurship that's the, is? That's the market though. That's called the market. Not everyone, it won't work for everyone. Not everyone who goes to work at McKinsey or Goldman Sachs is gonna be successful. That's like literally telling a basketball player that you should become a hockey player. You know that, right? Like, like self-awareness is very important and something that should be debated. Right. And I think we're forcing too many people into the entrepreneurial track that have, do not have the stomach to be an entrepreneur. So are, when you say we're forcing, I'm meaning we are, or Ed is, or who is? All of us combine the ecosystem, the pr- right. self-promotion within itself, the outside world that, that decided it was the cool thing to talk mm-hmm. about for a decade, and, and these pendulums swing. Mm-hmm. But what I'm most worried about, and I refer to it because I believe that this room all understand it better than me, I'm dying to know why it can still stay up. Like there's so much money in the system, there's so much other stuff going on and government involvement and so many other variables that are playing out that are just above my pay grade that I'm fascinated by when they cripple because this much fakeness has an inevitable fate. So why are you raising I'm raising a fund because I'm going series B and series C where I think my marketing machine that I've spent, so my behavior, as you guys know, over the last five, six years, instead of where I had a lot of leverage to raise capital and do my thing, I took a major on paper step back and built a client service digital social agency that I've grown in the last five years from zero to 100 million in revenue, right? To give me leverage for when the shit hits the fan. And so what I want to do with the fund in the short term is deploy it against later stage things that need a marketing arbitrage to create victory. So you've basically said, I'm going to make these wild investments and I'll do it in Series B because that's where the funnel pinch works for me. They feel a lot less wild for me coming from Angel, A, so there's a lot more data of an actual business, and B, I can look at it and say, okay, her business, she's got it all down. Her one opening or opportunity or soft spot is marketing arbitrage the way I do it, which I believe is best in class, that's a good bet for me because I could bring the smartest money to the table. And so it's not just that you've opened a barber shop to get paid to do haircuts in a downturn so that you don't lose all your venture capital investable dollars. It's that there's a symbiosis between the barber shop. Even further, the reason I am building VaynerMedia right now is long term, I think it plays out for me on private equity where I buy businesses at scale and run them through the machine as I call VaynerMedia and make that arbitrage. I took a step back seven years ago and said, you know what, now that I'm hanging out with all these fancy people, you characters and way fancier than you, Travis, Saka, those kind of dudes, I'm like, I don't look like these dudes and chicks. I'm not these people. Like, here's what I am. I'm a marketer and let me quadruple down at that skill build infrastructure around that and deploy it against this world I believe in. So that's what I've been focused on. And where does wine fit into this? So wine fits into it in a couple of different ways. I'll get very real and transparent with you guys. And you know that you have such a unique perspective on this. My dad and I are very different. You know, like as different as you can really get. You know, personality wise, viewing the world, our backgrounds. As I was building Wine Library and I was getting more attention and things of that nature, there was, 
a real forming tension for the first time in our relationship because as you know, my dad did, gave me the greatest gift. I walked in as a 22 year old and he gave me free reign. I ran that business every decision, which is remarkable in hindsight, especially now that I'm 40 and he was 44 when he allowed me to do that. Um, but as, as the narrative changed, as the business changed, there was tension between our relationship on you know, him disappearing from the narrative within our industry mm-hmm. that, and at the same time I'd made these good bets and AJ, my brother, was graduating college. Just felt like the right time to like make a decision where I would hand it more day to day back to him and the management team I built, Brandon and those guys. So the real life answer is for anybody that's been in a family business, the family business dynamic created a scenario where because I had all these other amazing options, there was no reason to create friction with the, one of the two or three most important relationships in my life. That's the real answer. And because I haven't been involved day to day as much, I've never enjoyed wine more because I don't look at a label anymore and think profit margin, <laughs> you know, which has been fun actually. Ironically, I'm probably enjoying wine more than ever. And, you know, in a different way, the way that you look at it, because you have such a passion for it, I don't want to buy Dujac or things of that nature, but I think I might make a run at some point in creating a three to $800 million yellowtail-like brand um, just because I think I can do it and because I want to buy the New York Jets. <laughs> I don't know, that's just... That's a, that's a good opportunity for us to see in the unlikely event that any of you have questions, folks, happy to feel them. You want to start? Yes, so with this sort of inflated... What's your name? Uh, Clifton. Clifton. Clifton Smith, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Um, in, in this sort of inflated ecosystem that you've painted of yes. wannabe entrepreneurs, do you feel that it has at least provided more good innovation that once have existed otherwise? I don't know, is the real answer. My intuition is probably a little bit, yes, but I genuinely believe that great entrepreneurs making great things, like Travis was an entrepreneur before, Garrett was an entrepreneur, like, I don't know, I don't know, not as much as some people may wanna think, um, because I think those people would have saw it through. I I think we grossly underestimate hardwiring and talent. I think we grossly, grossly underestimate hardwiring and talent. I think those things would have broke through and would have happened anyway, and were happening anyway. But probably, I mean, if you have more people playing the game that wouldn't have played the game and done something else, of course there's gonna be some, but I don't think as much upside, and I'm not sure as much casualty for the players in a net-net offsetting game. My opinion, what do you think? I, th- I think, um, this is where you and I disagree a little bit. Yep. Um, although we agree on some potential that I think the karma in the world is increased by more people believing themselves to be entrepreneurs, whether they have the skills or be successful or not. I think the karma in the world is increased. You know, so so I think. Overall I also think the I also think the internet itself has created the opportunity as much as right. anything else. The infrastructure costs to be in the game are so low. That's as much of a thing. I don't think anybody became more talented or capable or visionary mm-hmm. because the internet came along. Right. I think it just but, but exposed it the opportunity right? at a greater level. Here's what's interesting. At the same time, that also made it much more difficult for any individual to succeed because everyone can do it. I totally agree. Right? I everyone totally agree. It. Makes it infinitely but no, but more difficult for us to be investors too. For sure. Right? I agree, but the cost of starting is so low. Zero. So low. You just say it. You're an entrepreneur. <laughs> Mazel tov. Zero. <laughs> 
so, so what are the so I'm so used to doing Q and A. I'm like, uh, what? What are the, what are the ramifications? You're asking your own guy. We know, we know we're on your show. What are the ramifications of this fallout for all of the venture funds? Because there are some interesting structural ramifications to what you're saying, right? Because obviously, and I do agree that there's definitely more garbage in, and there definitely, you know, it used to be that like. It was nerdy, it was geeky, people would ignore you, they would want to go talk to the people who run hedge funds, yep. and that's great. And that was actually a much more comfortable place to be for a whole bunch of reasons. But structurally, we're going to be screwed if we have a whole wave of venture funds investing in companies that never should have attracted investment capital. That's what's gonna happen. Behind them, a whole bunch of LPs managing pension funds and endowments that lose their money by investing in these except that, except that, except that software, internet-based technology as an asset class is pretty small. So the damage, right, if 50% if, 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 if of all venture investments, uh, investments in the venture funds this year went bust, it's, it's $15 billion. It's not that big. Right? It's just big for right. the human yeah. individuals. That's real money. No, 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 but it's not big for like macroeconomics. Yeah. Right, there's no, there's no. We, yeah, that's, first, that's true. In the first bubble, we shifted the risk to the public. Yep. That's more meaningful. Now we've contained the risk to institutional investors. When we raised our last fund this year, <coughs> uh, uh, earlier in the year, when we were out talking to our investors, we told them that we believe for the next 10 years, venture returns on average will be lower than they were the 10 years before, and they should expect the return from our fund and all the funds they invest in to be somewhere between 20 and 50% lower. That's called sandbagging. Yes, <laughs> but, it's, but also believable. Yeah. So, so you so look at the data, the data suggests So are you right? also raising money for a Union Square Ventures short fund? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But our last two investments have been in hedge funds, though. So. Go ahead. Um, so you talked a little bit about inflated entrepreneurship, but um, you could argue there's also right now inflated investors, like or inflated, <laughs> like VC. You are uh, damn right, sister. <laughs> a million that's what, fun. that's, that they work hand in hand. Right. You know, I don't get to judge who should. I'm just excited to see how it all plays out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, who should? Who should do anything in the world? The people, you know, what I love about this is there'll be plenty of winners during this era. There'll just be a lot more losers. You know? And so, that's all. It's just a timing thing. This is so classic. This is every market on everything, always and forever. It's why I love brand so much. This is when brand takes over reality. <laughs> I know, that was a big statement. <laughs> so, so I think a, a lot of, like, so I grew out of, my crew grew out of the angel, super angel, guys and gals that were successful in their first internet business, made some money, and were, were getting, had enough Twitter followers, let's get to the punchline, to attract unbelievable deal flow. I made a lot of, I'm gonna, I made a lot, I'm gonna continue to make a lot of money from that pocket, but a lot of us, shouldn't necessarily be investors. We may be, should keeping some investment behavior, but we should all really map ourselves. But yeah, I think it's, I think, I think all of this comes down to the supply and demand of the skills. And I I just think people are very attracted to this world. And I think if, you know, especially when I sit in a class like this, you know, my, I try to reverse engineer every situation I'm in, especially how do I bring value. If I could get one person in this room to actually, pay attention tonight, go home, look in the mirror, and try to start deploying aggressive self-awareness, it could change the upside of their lives. I genuinely believe that. I just, I just. As long as they don't work for Goldman Sachs. 
or, or they should, I mean, I really, I, you know, or, or maybe they should work for their family business. I don't know, but I know that way too many people just go with the flow. I know how strong-minded I am and how easy that is for me to get caught up. And so I just think it's a worthwhile conversation, especially because too many people make a decision on the now, not on when they're actually playing it out. It doesn't really matter to you if you're going this world today. It matters what the impact is over a 36 to 60 month window and that you have to really quantify that. Looking at data told you what happened. You need to deploy real intuition and other kind of signs to what's going to happen so you can make the decision for you. see this kind of hype going on, craziness going on, but outside this industry, do you see any other industry that was like internet internet, uh, many, many years ago, like um, started to booming, or you know, in its early days, but has very great potential? <coughs> I mean, real estate does this all the time. Like real estate gets hot and it gets real cold when the C players show up. And I'm sure historically every market has gone through this. It's the same old narrative. It's really rinse and repeat. You can deploy the same thesis on this over and over. There's something that's right. Early visionaries take advantage of it, get disproportionate returns on it. Everybody hears about it. The next fast followers move in, do sometimes all right, and then the worst part happens. Everybody shows up. So it's interesting because you're you're con- you're concerned with the personal cost. I am of that last part because at, at that nobody here really no, gives a fuck that. about macroeconomics. They care right. about their lives. Right. So that's what I'm deploying here. If this was the macroeconomic summit, maybe I would talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, but I think I think yeah, but I think you I think you can combine them, right? Because history, so. history tells us that th- that bubbles actually may not be a bad thing. I agree. They may be a good thing. Right, a way I, to figure out the proper allocation. You mean when people, I totally agree. Right. That's the best part of the market, right? Like I, right. I really want death right. right now. Like right. I want shit to get carnage. Right. Cause that's a good, you know? Right. 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 Cause then you, the then you get rid of D players. Right, right, you start that whole cycle over again. Yeah, I mean like people go to, the, people go to these events and like party, <laughs> go ahead. I mean, like, it's an ecosystem. It's a broken ecosystem. People drinking expensive wine at parties at fucking in Aspen. It's just like, it's just you know, <laughs> my party stuff. I mean, we're all like, it's an ecosystem. So, so I, I, but I think the question was like, what's the specific industry that you would encourage him to go out and attack right now? I, I, I don't know. What he means is he knows, and fuck if he's gonna tell you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, and and it's timing, right? Like, the only thing on the horizon of arbing the internet world is the VR world, but is that 30 years from now? Like so many of our friends are gonna lose a ton of money on consumer VR because they want it to be here in 24 months. It's not here in 24 months. And so, I mean there's things that are, the smartification of products, AR, like that's real. Like that's, you know, voice space with Alexa and things. That, there's gonna be places to play. There's micro trends within our world. I don't know like, in, like things outside of tech, you know, I just don't know. Or in consumer, direct to consumer brands, is something gonna happen over the next 20 years? Like your toothpaste is coming to your house. The channel conflicts between retail and CPG, very real. There'll be money to be made. Mm. So there's stuff, but do you have the timing down? Do you know who, which jockey to bet on? So you, you talked about like printing and pressing CDs and drive and the, you know, 
having run a sales process or whatever that may be, like, are there certain triggers, either tangible or intangible, either of you look for in a founder to, to like signal that it, it's not one of these crap companies that you're alluding to? I met a founder yesterday and he's going blind. And for the past three years, he's been building uh, voice applications uh, for himself because he can't see a screen anymore. Scratching on itch. Screen, right? And so, and it may be a good business, it may not, it doesn't matter. But, but for me, it's like, are you trying to solve a problem that you experience? Are you trying to solve something that bothered you? you, know, for you? And this is an extreme example. This is a guy that can't see a web page, can't see his phone. But there are lots of other flavors of that. I would say mine, less in theory and more in practicality. There's only two things that I've, like right now I'm not investing in first time entrepreneurs that have had zero success ever before. Let me remind you, most of the biggest wins in our space came from those kind of people. Like so I don't think that's right, it's just what I'm comfortable with right now. I wanna, I wanna see a body of work of doing it before. In some, you don't need a big exit, but I wanna see how you rolled. Because I think the thing, some of the best companies I've invested in, in my last fund, the entrepreneur's dealing with the people issue. It's the people issue. They're the right product guy or gal. They have the right vision. They, they've got a lot of things in place. They're a great engineer. They don't know how to manage people or the people issue. So, um, but I'm a huge fan. When I think of my ecosystem of the people, like when I really poke and prod of the, inter- the, the entrepreneurs that have graced the cover of business magazines from our world over the last half decade, I know so many of them. God, a stunning amount of them sold shit. And I like it. I, and I associate with it. And that's it. Like, it's important to me because it shows a desire to sell stuff. And that's part of building a business and very black and white. But there's obviously a lot of backgrounds that people come from and win. Um, but those are the two things I'm so looking at. So are you at. only investing in people who've actually already made some money? Not made money, but something that I can look at and understand. Not, I have an idea and I think this is cool. So we're a bit of the opposite. We believe in the, in the drive of the person that has never done it and yep. that, that wants to succeed so badly. But so fucking cool. So it's just different. So, so no, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's cool because the truth is it just reminds everybody in this room there's no right answer. But I do think there's a right answer for you. And I think that's, that's something to really focus on. Not because it worked for that person you admire, but because that's where your strength lies. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not super candid. I hate confrontation, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's, a weakness, it's a weakness of mine. I'd rather not deal with the negative vibes. And so I do a really terrible, poor, non-noble job in my rejections of investments. Is that also in part because you want to keep the door open should they? Possibly, maybe, well, maybe, maybe. It's more predicated, it's, for me personally, it's more predicated on just my general dislike for negativity and confrontation if I don't have to deal with it. You feel, you feel like you just don't want to be disliked? Yeah. Is that why you agreed to come here? Yeah. <laughs> no worries. I mean, I, I think if, you know, I, time, you know, Phil can tell them we're passing, that's just good for me. It's faster and I didn't have to like feel with the bad feelings, like I don't know. That's my truth. I'm sure they do it way more professionally. <laughs> I don't know if it's a better way to do it. <laughs> I don't know. 
you, we do. We deal with. I, I think as investor, you deal with uncertainty, and so you're telling someone you're not interested in their company is your perspective, yeah. you know, and you could be wrong. A lot of times, you've been wrong. We were wrong about Uber. We were wrong about Airbnb. That's just part of the game. Yeah. So who knows? I was super wrong about Yobongo. What? Yobongo. I was obsessed. In thesis, I was right. I was obsessed with the fact that Grinder was gonna become a male-female thing, which it did, Tinder and all that. Uh, so I was chasing that space. There was a company called Yobongo that I invested in 2008, which was People Discovery. Mm-hmm. Highlight, one. I just kept chasing all of them, and of course it was incubated inside of IAC, the one that won, but um, I just was convinced that that was gonna be a huge winner. Why is that a category that you felt good about investing in in the first place? All my money in my whole life will be predicated on understanding people's behaviors slightly ahead of the market. That's where, my, that's where I win. I just was 100% positive that people would date in the, like male and female dynamics would translate the same way that male and male d- dynamics played on Grinder. I just was a ho- pot committed and uh, like I was with social, uh, like I am with, with, you know, with VR long term. Um, and then you just, then it's a timing game. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm so not interested in like my point of view carrying all that much weight. But that being said, yeah, I think that's really right. Like, whatever it is that is most self-aware, if you've got that, roll with that all the way through. Not what mommy and daddy or Fast Company or Zucks told you. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's great. And I would tell you another thing, we've never lived in an era where you can get to that person so easily. It's just relentless attack. Twitter and LinkedIn and email and you can get to that person. It's unbelievable who you can get to if you just try. What's the best way to get to you? Twitter. I still look at every mention. Believe it or not, Twitter is still the best way. Yeah, but I still look at those mentions. It's data collection for me, it's how I make a lot of my decisions and so of course I'm going to see the person you know that that's I'm going to see it doesn't mean I'll, you know yeah. are there more questions go ahead uh, so back to the investor side uh, I believe a lot of people in this room are interested in pursuing a VC career right out of school like a junior uh, investment professional what do you guys think about this idea do you think there's a lot of fakeness there as well <laughs> I don't know what fakeness is. Gary can talk about what fakeness is, but here's what I think. I think that what, one of the things that's interesting about being in, in a venture, right, if you think about there are, you've got two parties and there's a power relationship, right, and there's this, per, there's this perception that the investor has a lot of power, so, it, so it's, your ego is satisfied by being an investor. Um, at the same, but at the same time, the reality is for the good businesses, the good entrepreneurs, that's actually not the way it is, right? It's, it's flipped around the other side. That's right. And so, I don't, it took me, like, I had to, I had to start my company and raise money till I realized that, and I was 20 years into my career. 
till that insight, which helps me invest now till I realize it. I don't know how, how you would learn it. Problem with venture is that you don't get paid for 10 years. So you have to be willing to not get paid for a decade. Well, I mean, okay, but you, I mean, you, get, you get paid a lot of base salary. You also invest an enormous amount in your yeah, fund. Uh, yes, but Ed's right. Like, like, do you know how many people have venture firms just for the fucking management fees? Like, that's just real. Like, there's a lot of people that were able to, off their personal brand in this era, build 25 to $150 million venture funds and make a real fucking awesome living just on that 2% because they are thinking so short term. Um, that's real. That's a real thing. It's a, it's a nice living compared to other things. I don't know that they're thinking so short term, though, because they're also thinking, like, why am I not going to do a great job at this? Yes, and I think others are like, because we've all been there at 3 o'clock in the morning, like, hey, listen, the booby prize is a great fucking salary to have a great fucking lifestyle. I mean, that's just, that's just real. That's, not, that's, that's not the market, not, but, there's, but, but, that is, but that is the growing, that, there is a subset growing market yes, of what I just is. described. And the other thing is, I genuinely believe that this class doesn't have this many people in it seven years ago. It did. Right, so. <laughs> seven years, well, seven years ago was after 08. Before 08, yeah. they were all going to Goldman and McKinsey and Bain, um, and it was like, a third the size. The far majority of this room, not everybody, but there's an enormous amount of majority of this room that follows a certain track that makes this class have more people in it. And that supply and demand issue is the problem. It is, but at the same time, I think- I believe. A, I th- but I One think, man's point I of view. I think there's a counter, right? The counter sure. is, you had this up on your screen before, right? Before, 10 years ago, if you were a venture firm and you were raising money, you had to, your slide number two talked about this thing called proprietary deal flow. Mm-hmm. which was the way that you got deals right. that no one else could see, right? But here's the thing, they're all just internet businesses. So there's nothing proprietary. You all can subscribe to App Annie and look at the app charts all day long. Every day. I have no advantage over anyone in this room. No, that's not right? true. No, yes, that's it not is. true. Absolutely. Sure it is. Absolutely. No, 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 Wait. you're right. Of course you have an advantage over him. No, but, it, but I, I, but no. You have, you have, perso- en- you have no, personal brand equity en- and firm equity. Point, but the entry point. Yeah, the entry point's zero. No, the entry point's the same. Correct. It used to be, it used to be only I saw it, right? right? Yes, that only game is saw. over. That game is over, Yes. Right? So the entry point. Which is why brand matters have, more now. Right, but I may have, I have a reputation, I have a fund that has capital that will do follow on investments. Charisma. But, but the, but the entry <laughs> But the end, you're running out of time. But the entry point. <laughs> The entry point is the same. You may have an insight from selling wine about social media. That was the line for you, right? Right? So someone else could replicate that a different way. Someone else could find that somewhere today on Twitter, on Facebook, right? And so the entry point is the same. That means we have to do better. We have to to upstand, we have to hold, you know, our brands, our brand equity. Or it speaks to why the game we're playing is actually broken. If everybody's looking at the same data, you all end up in the same place when the opportunity is somewhere completely else. That's separate though. And very important. Yes. So that, so to answer your question, that's the market to look at. Agreed. The someplace else market? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Oh, by the way, by the way, always, right? Uh, you know, always though. There was somebody who had a hand over there at the song. Yeah. So um, you came from Betaworks and now those guys, Nick and whatnot, spun that off in the notation. You're seeing Charlie O'Donnell do the same thing with Brooklyn, Grand Central, and a lot of the bigger ones in the middle. Is there this hybrid space developing where you are, you do have an investment vehicle, 
but you're also committed to the companies and to the people involved, and you're there day in, day out. Is there more intrinsic integrity with that? I don't know if there's more intrinsic integrity. The thing that happened, you know, capital used to be scarce and capital isn't scarce, and tension is the last remaining asset that's scarce. And so if that's the last what, remaining... What's the last remaining? Attention. 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 Giving someone's attention and getting someone's attention. So if that's it, right, so the advantage that I may have as an investor is how I manage my attention and how I manage the attention of someone who wants my money or someone I've invested in, not the capital itself. So those things are kind of interesting. Like, no one cares more about his companies than Charlie O'Donnell. He may be a good investor, he may not, but no one cares more and spends more time with them. There's a difference between a founder, and this goes back to the case we did today, there's a difference between being a founder-led company and saying, I have a really good idea, let's go hire some young person and give them 8% of the company yes. to go, they'll stay here, and even though they can make a lot of the decisions, they can't make all of the decisions. I get it. And I am big brother watching them. Yes. And it's my money yep. that I'm spending from LPs yes. to make this shit all happen. Yes. And they get to move out of my space when I tell them, and they get to hire this person. If I tell them that's okay, they're walking around with a card that says CEO, but they're not I get it. the CEO. And it depends on some of those spaces, but I've seen that model a lot. And you won't invest in a company where the CEO isn't really the CEO and doesn't have enough equity in the business to make it matter. Because that person took a job. That person is not a founder, they took a job. I understand. I'll tell you the reason I really try hard is because I care more about my legacy and reputation than anything else in the world. And that's a great place to end. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to see you, buddy.